At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the rally in stocks, the most important earnings reports of this season beginning in just hours now. The Investment Committee setting up What's likely to happen, how you should play all that. Joining me for the hour, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal. Check the markets. We're green across the board. The 10-year note yield is at 484, so we're holding steady after that decline yesterday. Jim, that's really what this story continues to be about. Yes, we have the mega caps and the earnings that begin today with Alphabet and Microsoft, but we'd be having probably a different market picture if rates were still around or above 5%. Yeah, I think you've nailed it. Um, So far, earnings haven't mattered in the two weeks since we started, a little less than two weeks. What has mattered is geopolitics and interest rates. And interest rates have been defined, at least in large part, by the Fed moves. That's not the only factor involved with interest rates, but that has been a big factor, and it's been a big factor for the last 18 months, which is to say that the investing environment for the last 18 months has been lousy. Company reports, company earnings have not mattered anywhere near as much as interest rates. That will continue, in my opinion, my humble opinion, until the Fed signals that it's done raising rates. They, it sounds like, just listening to Jay Powell last week, like that's what he wants to do, Scott, uh, but it's, he's not going to declare mission accomplished too early. He doesn't want to take that risk. We've got a couple more months of what appears to be a yeah, kind of lousy investing environment, yep. but when the Fed signals it's done, that investment environment changes. Josh, um, Alphabet today, uh, which you own, has been the crown jewel since the last earnings period. It's up 15% over the past three months. We've talked about new record highs that that stock uh, has been hitting. So what are your expectations here, and what do you think is really at stake for the state of stocks, given everything that's been going on and brings us to today? Well, let me let me start with the last thing you asked me, the state of stocks. The forward P.E. on the S&P 500 is now 17.7. That's actually below the five year average of 18.7 and pretty much in line with the 10 year average. So the market is not particularly expensive. That being said, we have a little bit of an earnings problem. And if you pull out tech, this is another negative quarter overall of earn for earnings just for the entirety of the S&P 500. And even companies that manage to beat, GM is an example, which I'm sure Jim will do 10 minutes on in a second, um, it almost doesn't matter. The misses are being punished a lot more than the the beats are being rewarded. That's just not a great environment for investors. Nobody feels good in that kind of an environment. To go back to what you were talking about, though, with with, uh, Google, look, sometimes the market is more intuitive than, than others. Right now is one of those times. Why is Alphabet the closest to a a 52-week high out of all of the fangs? Well, very simply, they have the best earnings per share growth this year. Of all of the companies reporting, Apple's going to have 1% uh, revenue growth, negative 1% revenue growth, 7% earnings growth. Microsoft is 8 and 12, not bad. Alphabet is 10 and 37, 37% 
earnings per share growth year over year in this quarter. That's why its stock looks the best. That's what investors are looking for. They want high quality, great balance sheets, big competitive moat, and earnings growth. And if you're delivering that, stock price is getting rewarded. Amazon's the wild card to me. I'm also in that one. We're expecting something like 10 to 13% uh, revenue growth, depending who you talk to, but 107% earnings per share growth. They have drastically slowed down on spending. They're not trying to get the packages delivered to you in 15 seconds anymore. There's a marginal gain from doing that. Um, I think you're going to see a bigger cash flow number here. The new CEO, the new guy, he's up against the wall. Those are the two. And I don't have an edge on which one will have the best reaction. Mm -hmm. I just tell you, if either one of them were to sell off, I would buy both of them. So that's like I have a game plan for the post earnings. I have no edge going into the. I have no idea. Neither does anyone else. But I admit yeah. it. Well, um, but those are the two that I'm a buyer of, no matter what. I got you. Uh, by the way, look at that. Uh, Apple announcing an event for October 30th. New Macs and uh, or new Macs are expected. So. Um, this is going to be setting up for the Super Bowl quarter, really, for, for Apple. New Max, you got the holiday quarter for iPhone. I made a lot of stories about what that stock is doing. It's the only one in the red today of the mega caps. The chart hasn't looked that great. It's down 10% in three months. We'll get some more of that uh, in just a moment as we take a look at those shares off that news that we had you at the bottom of the screen. So uh, Meta and Amazon are yours, right? So, you know, today you look and you say, got to get out of the gates good before we get to the ones I really care about. But the idea that, you know, yesterday was a moment for the market that changed the narrative a little bit. Remember the Ackman tweet? Yields came down, stocks went up. And we're kind of holding in that, in that pattern as we get set for these earnings. So, yeah, we've been in kind of like this macro environment, right, because we haven't had that many earnings. Only about 17 percent of the S&P 500 has reported, but 78 percent have beat. But really, everyone's just focusing on rates and the geopolitical issues, like Jimmy just said. I do think earnings are going to matter. And this is a huge week, as you mentioned. Oh, they're going to matter this week. We have the, the ones that report this week the, of the big fangs. That's 16 percent of the S&P 500. If you add Apple, that's 22 percent of the S&P 500. I will say this. Within the fangs, Microsoft is seven is seven percent of the S&P 500, um, uh, and um, and the others are actually much smaller. Apple's also seven percent, but the others are a little bit smaller. Mm. Like Meta is only two percent of the S&P 500, right? So I, I think if they have a good number, it'll be important. But I think the bigger ones are going to have more of an impact. I do think they're going to have good quarters. I think you're going to see cloud reacceleration. I think you are going to see ad digital ads reaccelerate uh, re as well. Um, and I think. Uh, AI is going to be the question mark. Can they actually monetize it? Are we going to be that excited again? I'm not so sure. Um, I am excited about AI for Meta because last quarter it helped engagement at Facebook blew by 7%. And so I also think Reels is very attractive and they're gaining momentum click to message. They've got $40 billion in cash and uh, they're buying back stocks, excuse me, a $40 billion buyback and they bought $10 billion last quarter and mm -hmm. we'll see what, what else they do this quarter. And it trades at 23 times. It's the cheapest of the group. And to Josh's point, actually, they have better growth, the best growth of the FANG. They're going to go from single-digit revenues to double-digit revenues in the second half of this year and into next year. And so I still think that one's attractive. That being said, you know I've been trimming it because it's had a nice run. Um, I do think Amazon... 
I think retail is going to be great. I, I really do. The U.S. prime, the numbers were off the charts, um, the two-day prime, yep. right? So that'll help. It's, about, it's all about margins, though, Scott. They did 3.9% operating margins last quarter, up from 1.9, which was what was expected. And they think they, get to, they can get to mid-single digits. So that's important. AWS, 12% growth last quarter. They need to see that accelerate to see the stock actually do better. In so, terms of, of, Jim, like the, you know, the, the playtime's over in, in terms of, you know, these stocks went up a lot, right? Year to date, Microsoft's up 37%, Alphabet 54, Amazon 50, Meta 160, Apple 33, NVIDIA 194. Um, like the days of the stocks going up on AI hype, even while, while you're delivering declining revenue growth, that's why I'm saying playtime's over. Like okay. we need to get back, these companies now need to live up to the stock hype. Um, okay. don't, they, don't they? I, I agree with you. I, I see a somewhat benign set of circumstances that can happen that people may not like. But let's just say take Alphabet tonight. Let's say they beat by a little bit. And let's say the stock's up like 1% tomorrow and through the end of the year is up 4%. By the way, I'm overweight Alphabet. I like the stock a lot. The point that I'm driving at is I take what you just said, Scott, at face value and I agree with it. But it doesn't mean that there's a trap door opening up under these stocks. It also doesn't mean you're going to get those 45% you know, per annum returns that if you look at an Apple or an Alphabet over the last several years, you've gotten that. You may get just market average returns in these stocks. And that's why for some time I've said, look, I, I'm comfortable with these stocks. I'm underweight them because I see better growth potential in share prices elsewhere. So that's what I'm just setting up here is these stocks can do just fine. They can actually track and maybe even create what the market returns are. I think it's hard for them to do really badly. I think it's hard for them to do really well after the gains you've just talked about. Yeah, I, think I think they have come weak, in a though, little bit. I think if they're weak, though, I think if they get bought into the end of the year, because I think you have Chase, because you've been talking about that for the last six months. Could be. I think that's, that, that's going to happen. I know if any of these stocks are weak, well, not any of them. Well, that's if, why there's a if, perceived floor under some yeah. of these names. I mean, I would, I would say maybe Apple, to your point, a little bit of the wild card in that, whether yeah. weakness is bought immediately, just because there are questions about What's happening in China, market share with Huawei, you know, eating into right. that. By the way, let's just show uh, everybody the invitation that Apple put out just moments ago. I briefly referenced it, but here you go. Um, October 30th, 5 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting event. Again, leading into what really is the most important holiday. The, the holiday quarter with the new phone and now these, uh, these products that are going to be introduced. You know, that, that's what's going to matter well, a lot. The, well, the setup is better. It's, de it's down 12% from its highs. But so is Amazon. And that's why I highlighted Amazon, because I do think that there's more upside to Amazon. But the, the setups are much better than at least them being at their highs. But Apple's usually not down into the print. Now, again, that's, it doesn't, that's report, what I'm saying. The setup right, is good. doesn't report this week. It reports right. in early November. Right. But, you know, usually you're talking about, okay, you know, Apple ramps up into the earnings report, and then you wonder, well, is there going to be a sell on the news kind of deal? Here, the stock's going the opposite direction. Which is good. Into the I, I think which is actually important. a good thing. An I important think. aspect to this that's being missed, and, and Steph, I thought you were going to touch on this, but share buybacks. You touched on margin improvement. Share buybacks are going to matter for Apple. If the stock goes down, uh, Scott, as you just suggested, possibly it might. You know, that's great because they've got the cash flows with which to buy back their shares. Well, I'm not suggesting the way, possibly no, 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 it might. I, I'm, I'm saying not, it's not, been down into just, the number. I was just, I was just queuing off what you're saying, but what I'm saying about buybacks actually applies across all of corporate America. And, you know, a couple of industrials, I know we'll talk about them later, but Cleveland Cliffs and General Motors, these guys are buying back stock a lot 
of stock with good results. This is what I've been saying about a lot of these companies that have done well, particularly cyclicals for two years. The share prices have languished. Perversely, that's actually good. The cash flows are there. They're buying back shares. Applies to tech, applies to non-tech. All right. So we have a, as we said, we have a pretty good day um, going here. I do want to touch on what Jamie Dimon and Ray Dalio are are saying uh, half a world away uh, over in uh, Saudi Arabia at a conference over there where they're looking at the environment. You know, they see deficits that are increasing. They see elevated rates. And, you know, they're warning like they uh, are prone to do. Here's Jamie Dimon. Fiscal spending more than it's ever been in peacetime. There's this omnipotent feeling that central banks and governments can manage through all this stuff. I'm cautious about what will happen next year. I don't think it makes a piece of difference whether rates go up 25 basis points or more, whether the whole curve goes up 100 basis points. Be prepared for it. I don't know if it's going to happen. That's Diamond first. Uh, Josh, you want to opine on on what he's talking about? In in other words, the outlook is murky. It's gloomy because of these deficits that continue to go up, interest rates and all of the risks. And at some point, governments and central banks aren't going to be able to do anything about it. Uh, Well, they might have to because we cannot continue to add to the deficit and the overall debt pile at the rate that we've been adding this fall. And that's one of the reasons why I think uh, the seven to 10 year treasury uh, is extremely attractive right here. And for people that want to lock in a 5% rate and they're worried about the gloomy environment, treasuries really can do two things for you from these levels. Even if there is another uh, hike of the Fed funds rate, which sure, why not? What's the difference? Uh, To Jamie's point, it doesn't even matter anymore. Um, But if there is or there isn't, it doesn't matter. If you can lock in 10 years at 5% and you think that there is some sort of really tough year coming next year, well, you're going to see inflation rates continue to drop into that environment. And so in real terms, you're going to get a really nice risk-free rate of return on that portfolio of treasuries. And it's a better option, quite frankly, for intermediate to longer term money that you have. So this is not for money that you're planning on spending in six months, but this is for money that is not going to be in the stock bucket. You can't take equity risk with it, but you want to earn a solid rate of return and lock something in, not have to worry about the interest rate picture for a few cycles. That's what I would be doing here. And I agree with Mr. Diamond. We're now seeing things like the uh, delinquency rate for car payments, at least for the subprime uh, auto uh, buyer. We're seeing that tick up to to multi-decade highs. We're seeing the rubber meet the road, and we're seeing the higher rates start to bite and the financial conditions meaningfully tighten and actually hit the real economy. It's first starting now. So why not be a little bit risk averse? There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but I mean, Steph, are we prepared for a 6% tenure to his point, 100 basis points, you know, a, a across the curve? I, I would submit to you that no way. Yeah, I don't right? think. I don't think people are, are ready for that. I don't think so either. Not, not that he's suggesting that it's happening tomorrow, obviously, but maybe that's why he and, and Ray Dalio are, are, you know, reasonably gloomy for They can get it there. They What's can't keep po- it. They, What's an, they can't keep it there. <laughs> What's another 100 basis points after they just did five, five and change, right? So they've already done the bulk of the yeah. damage. 
what the point of it is, is that so far it hasn't slowed down the economy. We're going to do like a 4 to f- or 5% GDP number in the third quarter. Sure, we're going to slow down in the, in the fourth quarter. Just how much? I don't know. None of us know. But the companies so far aren't saying that on, on the earnings calls. That's number one. Number two, you have the consumer that remains strong. I know there are pockets that are not great, but I will say to you that American Express had loan growth of 7%, in the U.S. of 9%, international 15%, write-offs and delinquencies were lower than 2019 levels. Well, it's let, controlled. Well, let's so just suggest, hold, though, hold, Stephanie, it's the wrong, it's that's the, the wrong people the, to look at, though. Consumer. Yes, but you're talking... Right, see, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. It's this bifurcated... Discover. Right. Look at DFS. Okay, this but is, you have, like... The, when we like, say, it's the 80-20 rule, Josh. Just how it starts, though. Okay. Stephanie, okay. it doesn't start there, with the it, wealthiest people that it's have not the wealthiest platinum people. cards. Actually, to your point on that, no, Amex? you're not right. American Express Gen Z was 60% of their membership growth, and it grew 18% in the quarter, Josh. So, no, I can understand that to discover much lower end, but American Express is not what it used to be in terms of being super duper high end. It's not. And so what I have to say is that the consumer... What do you think the, the average consumer, credit score is for a Discover card holder? Forget about the, the age. Look Forget at about the, the age. Josh, Josh, just let Steph finish and then you can rebut it. That's perfectly fine. But if you guys talk okay. over each other, then I can't even understand what you're saying. And I know if I can't, the viewers can't either. Right. Steph. So... I think the consumer is still in pretty good shape. The job market is running the show at this point. Wages are coming, are, are, are staying high. Inflation is coming down. Not all pockets of inflation, but a lot of inflation is coming down. So real incomes are still actually pretty healthy. They just revised the savings rate to $2 trillion. So I think this consumer is still going to spend selectively, more on services continuing versus goods. We're seeing that in all kinds of series. And oh, by the way, no one is even talking about the manufacturing numbers today, the PMIs. The manufacturing hit 50. A couple months ago, no one thought that was even possible. So we're starting to see momentum in the manufacturing, and that goes back to what he, but Jimmy's been saying for years now in terms of onshoring, reshoring, et cetera, uh, as well as anything tied to aviation. And I know we're going to talk about Boeing and GE and everything else mm-hmm. later, but I think the economy for now is good. We don't know about next year. It's too early to tell. But I just think for now, the better economy is going to lead to better earnings. And eventually, if earnings are going higher and they're being revised higher, which they are, then we could have a year-end rally. So talk about next year, next year. Josh, go go ahead. I I remind everybody, too, yesterday afternoon, another new note from Marco Kalanovic over J.P. Morgan. Again, lag effects, right? The full effect of the severe tightening that took place last year has yet to be felt. It goes right to the heart of this conversation as to whether... You know, we we believe the economy is as strong as it appears to be. You know, Ackman yesterday suggesting that one reason he's taken off his, you know, long held short on the long end of the Treasury curve is there's too many geopolitical risk and the economy is, in fact, weaker than people think it is. Josh Brown, to you. I would just, uh, Stephanie, I would just ask, forget about the age and whether or not it's millennials. What, what I'm saying is that if we are going to start feeling the effects of financial conditions tightening, and that's, that's the point I'm trying to make, is that now we have data and we actually are. It's not wrecking the economy, but we're seeing it. So where do you expect it to show up? In the average, uh, the average American Express user population or the average Discover Card user population? And actually, both stocks are at one-year lows right now. So, uh, look, I think Discover and its clientele are in worse shape overall than typically 
an Amex user would be, regardless of whether they're 30 years old or 60. That's not, that's not the argument. So if you agree with me that that's where we're going to see it show up first, well, it's happening. Well, I mean, you, I, I don't think I'll, now you could disagree in the magnitude of how important that is. Right. But I don't think you would argue that I we're starting up, to see it. I want to bring out up something else, too. Um, you know, despite the risk that Diamond and Dalio and you know, a number of other people are suggesting are still obviously out there. Bank of America flow show today. Twelfth straight week, Jimmy, clients added exposure to stocks. Those inflows powered by investors buying ETFs. And for all of those who say, well, there's all these opportunities, you know, it's a stock picker's market and under the surface there are stocks and things you can do. Single stock investments suffered their biggest outflows since August. I'm going to go back to where I started. And I'm guessing the buying of the ETFs probably had something to do with the Qs. Okay. Um, I'm going to go back to where I started, and Josh corroborated this. It's been a lousy investment environment for actually quite some time. I mean, not just the last two months. The Fed's been sitting on Unless Unless you've been in mega cap tech. Sure, but even the last two months in mega, ta- uh, mega cap tech hasn't been. Yeah, but I know, but two months I mean, don't, let's, don't let's a just, year make. Let's just cut to the chase. Let's just cut to the chase. The economy, profits are doing a lot better than people have expected for most of the last 18 months. A lot better. But it's not being reflected in share prices, including mega cap tech, over the last two months for one reason, and it's the Fed. So to the earlier discussion, Stephanie that, and Josh, that you guys were having, you left out one really important point. Headline CPI is now at 3.6%, and it's headed lower. I think we can say that definitively with the lagging effect of rent. All right, you've got average hourly earnings growing at 4%. You've got CPI coming down. You've got 198,000 on that. weekly jobless claims. Sorry, <laughs> Steph, if I missed that. We all agree but on the, that. Okay, but the point that I'm driving at is when anybody, and I'll take Mr. Diamond, you know, or, or I'm sorry, Mr. Ackman saying, hey, things are a lot worse than they expected or that, that they're seeing in numbers, you've got to look awfully hard to miss the positives that are in this economy. Stephanie pointed out the PMIs today, above 50. I mean, that's huge, and we should be talking about So that. let's do this. Let's do this. Um, since we're talking about the performance of mega cap versus others, the big earnings this week, and I forgot to bring up with you hmm. this suit uh, from the attorneys general of several states uh, accusing Meta and Instagram of harming the mental health of, of young people. Now, the stock is not doing anything to reflect any concern about any of that. Uh, and it rarely does. No. And many of these mega caps rarely react to any sort of regulatory action that is ever taken because the street seems to assume that, all right, you write the check, you pay the fine, you, you move on. How do you feel? Yeah, because that's why I cite free cash flow all the time. That's why I cite that. I mean, if they're taking $40 billion just to buy back stock, they have a ton of cash that they can settle or do whatever. I mean, and even TikTok has died down, right, the pressure against them. So, I, yeah, it's not good, for sure. I'm not going to spin it positively, but I don't think it changes the narrative, nor does it change the fundamentals over the long term. All right. We, uh, well, as if there's nothing else to worry about, we still have the chaos in D.C., On that note, breaking news from Washington. Let's get to Emily Wilkins on the Hill. Hi, Emily. Hey, so we now have yet another Republican nominee for speaker. Tom Emmer has just won uh, the Republican nomination. And now it sounds like what Republicans are doing is they're doing yet another vote to see who can vote for Emmer on the floor. So it was who wanted to be him to be the nominee and then who could back him on the floor. This is kind of what we saw Jim Jordan do the other week, trying to get a sense of his support. And then after that, meeting up with the holdout members and seeing if he can sort of sway them one way or the other. Obviously, Jim Jordan was not able to get to that match. 
magic number of 217. And of course, it's a question now whether Tom Emmer will. We know that he does have support across the conference from some of those more moderate members to some of those more hardline conservatives. Uh, but at this point, it really only takes five five members to block anyone from becoming the speaker. And so we will have to see if those five exist in some capacity. And if Emmer can't get it, what comes next? You also saw Mike Johnson, who's currently uh, the Republican Conference vice chair, do quite well in the room when it came to nominations. Uh, But I think at this point, a lot of members have fatigue. A lot of them have been telling us how tired they are and how much they just want to wrap the speaker vote up this week. So unclear whether we'll see a floor vote today. But at this point, we can say that Tom Emmer is going to be the nominee going forward. All right. Emily, appreciate that very much. Emily Wilkins with that breaking news from D.C. Coming up, our chart of the day, a big earnings winner shares popping on that beat and the outlook. Stephanie owns it. We'll get her take when we come back on the half right after this. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story. Asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. That number didn't look right to us. Plus 232 on the Dow. I'm just saying. Looks like it's only up 118. So beg your pardon on that. We'll continue to check that out. But it doesn't look like that board uh, is moving correctly. Yeah, there's the Dow. It's up 120. Welcome back. Let's get to our chart of the day. It's 3M, and it's surging on a beat and uh, the outlook. Steph, you own that. I do. But to put it into context, it was down 28% headed into the print. So very low expectations. But... The numbers are probably going higher, and the stock trades about 9.5 times earnings. I am not convinced that 7% dividend yield is, is secure, so just have that out there. But overall, the number was better than expected. Um, free cash flow was $900 million better than expected. Uh, the healthcare division is pretty much humming. And even the other problem areas, like consumer and industrials, while mm-hmm. they missed on top line, they beat on profitability. So their price-cost mix is actually starting to work. So a vote of confidence for sure. General Electric. Yes. Up 100% this year. Yes. Or in a year. In a year. Mm-hmm. 75% year to date. Yes. Now what? This was a good quarter. It really was. I mean, they're, they're hitting it on all strides at this point in time. I mean, eight, 18% organic growth, 25% growth, organic growth in aviation alone. Again, another quarter of better than expected free cash flow. They're raising free cash flow guidance. 
I think they're humming, and you have the Vernova split coming out in the uh, second quarter of next year. That'll be your next catalyst. Where'd you get in on this? You remember what the equivalent was before the split? Oh. It was pre-split, right? Yeah. I mean, a, a long a long time ago. A long time ago, eighteen, eighteen, and I and I bought it all the way down to ten, and I fought everybody along the way. <laughs> I can't even remember. Was it like a ten to one? Yeah. Split. Eight to one, I think. Eight it was. to one, ten to one. I don't know. Something to one. Something big to one. Um, are you still <laughs> optimistic about GE? I am. I really am. I like what they're doing. They're becoming a more more simple company and easier to understand, and I think that's why they're going to get a higher multiple over time. All right. Then there's General Motors. Uh, they pulled their outlook because of the strike. Stock's up. Well, it was. Now it's down. What else is new? Jimmy? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, I'll tell you what's new. I'll tell you what's new. They generated $5 billion of free cash flow. Okay. I mean, so anybody wants to take a shot at that, go ahead. I mean, Not, what's the market cap like? $50 billion? Why is the stock down? Um, stock's down because of the UAW strike. So that's, I mean, that's the short answer. Why does the stock trade at four and a half times earnings? Because of the UAW strike. Well, the stock was trading at four and a half to five times earnings before the UAW strike. Uh, no, it was trading more like five and a half to six times. And in historical past, it's traded around seven times. And when the UAW strike is done, it's likely to be there. In the meantime, what's happened, you know, the reason I lead with that five billion of free cash flow, folks, is because what do you think they're doing with it? They've got $13 billion of net cash in their operations. So what do you think they're doing with that free cash flow. They're buying back shares, all right? Share count shrunk year over year 5.2% at well below book value and a ridiculous yield on earnings, or excuse me, earnings yield or free cash flow yield. So for people who are going to say like, oh, hey, you know, this has done nothing for a long time, that says nothing about what it's doing going forward. Who are There's those a lot people of, you're referring to? Who are those people you're referring to? No, no, no. To? It doesn't have to have a name. <laughs> to whoever would want to say that, I would say. person's name. I would. Can I ask well, a question? No, no, go ahead, Josh. Ask a question. But let me, okay. before you do that, let me uh, just say something. Let me just say one thing. Go ahead. Let's everybody be careful. Everybody has a stock in their portfolio that has languished despite great, excellent reports. Of course. Okay, so everybody's got it. Just be careful about throwing stones. Josh? Can I, can I, can I ask, are you sufficiently protected now? Can I ask a question? Um, why wait. would these P.E. ratio, why would these P.E. ratios ever change? And if it's solely a UAW issue, why were these stocks selling at 10 or 11 times earnings 10 years ago? Like, this has been a decline that's been years in the making, and it affects international auto, auto companies that don't have as much or anything to do with uh, United States-based labor unions. So, I, like, I, I'm trying to understand, like, what's going to change the current dynamic in place as these companies head toward three, four times earnings being an industry standard globally. Why would yeah, that change? I mean, this, this kind of reminds me, Josh, of, you know, in the fall of 2021 when many people were saying the same thing about energy. And I won't name names, but many people were saying that. The look in the rearview mirror, I don't, it's not to me helpful as an investor. What is helpful to me as an investor of what I said is these are highly profitable companies generating $5 billion of free cash flow against, in a quarter, against a $50 billion market cap with net cash, significant net cash on the operational balance sheet. They just buy back shares. So to anyone who thinks, like energy in the fall of 2021, that they're going to languish at these multiples, go ahead. They're just going to buy back shares below book value at earnings yields that are extraordinary. Just let them keep doing it. 
eventually, look, if I'm the last person holding a share of GM and I've got $5 billion of free cash flow a quarter, I'll be perfectly happy. Let them buy back will all their the shares. Will their weighted average cost of capital allow them, will their weighted average cost of capital allow them to continue to buy back as much stock as they've been able to in the last year or two? I, I, think, that's a, I think it's a great question. And the answer is, I don't think so much about weighted average cost of capital, which isn't very high. And again, I've got to point out, net cash on the operational balance sheet of about 13 billion, leave aside GM finance. The point is not the weighted average cost of capital. The point is free cash flow. Your question should be, will that free cash flow stay in there? Will it hold in there? That's a legitimate question, to which, again, I go to 12 and a half years being the average age of cars on the road. They simply don't last that long. Consumers need new cars. And as fast as these can be produced, they're being sold. That's what the results just showed us. Um. I, I know this is not going to trigger you. You already seem sufficiently triggered. I'm just, I'm excited. Come on, Josh and I are, we get excited about these things. That's just... Cleveland Cliffs. Uh, what's up near 7%? He, he was so he was so excited. His microphone Dang. flew off. The, micro, the microphone box fell on the floor. <laughs> and believe me, it's rare. It's rare to see Jimmy that excited. When the microphone flies off on the floor, the box hits. It's like sports talk radio. All right, let's do Cleveland Cliffs. Cleveland Cliffs up near 7%. Yeah, I mean, look, um, 600 million. Of- can, you can go ahead and put that on. Okay. You know how that goes? Yeah, you can no, put it on your coat. I kind of like holding go. it. There you I go. I like holding it. It's there special. Go. Cleveland Cliffs is special. I want to talk about it. 600 million of free cash flow in the quarter. Okay? And that's not an unusual quarter. It's not like there's something amazing that went on there. They've spent the last few years reducing CapEx, reducing their cost to produce steels, uh, while negotiating contracts primarily with the auto OEMs. And Josh made the point that auto OEMs are not just the big three, okay? Toyota, everybody else is producing cars. Um, and that's showing in the volumes that Cliffs is producing, the selling prices they've got, about $1,200 per ton, which is way above spot prices. So people look at spot prices and say, oh my God, spot price is down $800 a ton. That's irrelevant when you've got fixed price contracts. They've got costs going down, they've got volumes strong, they've got prices going up. And the biggest thing about Cliffs is you want to be a long-term shareholder here, this is the green producer of steel. Let me ask you, ask you a question real quick uh, again, because yep. uh, we got to go. Um, why, why is the stock down year to date? I think, I think it's on two reasons, which recession. are related. Recession, which ties into that spot price that I mentioned quickly. But spot price is around $800 a ton. That's what moves around intra-quarter. And people say, oh, good. All right, we see the uh, spot price going down. We're going to sell Cleveland Cliffs. They're selling at an average price of $1,200 a ton. And they have negotiation skills and contracts that are going to keep it at that level as their costs go down. Uh, they're projecting pretty sizable cost reductions next year as But as long as there well. are questions about the economy, yes. then this stock's not going to do anything to now, reward you, people? You know, thank you for bringing this up. I'm totally, completely yeah. serious. No, I'm being serious, too. I hope I don't sound like I'm joking at all. That free cash flow, again, and it's not just GM, it's not just Cleveland Cliffs, it is the whole corporate America that is generating free cash flow, and what are they doing with it? They really can't buy back more debt. They're buying back shares. They bought back $60 million uh, of shares in the quarter. And that's something that's likely to continue. Obviously, there's the merger hanging out there, Scott. I don't know how that's going to play out, okay. but if that merger doesn't go through, that's a lot of free cash flow they're going to buy back shares. 
shares with. All right. Let's get the headlines now with Pippa Stevens. Hi, Pippa. Hey, Scott. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. The Biden administration is prepping for the possibility for mass evacuations. That's according to The Washington Post, which quoted senior officials who say hundreds of thousands of Americans may need to be evacuated from the Middle East if the Israel-Hamas war can't be contained. Last week, the State Department issued an advisory to U.S. citizens worldwide to exercise increased caution because of potential terror attacks, demonstrations or violent actions against U.S. citizens or interests. A new shot to protect infants from the respiratory virus RSV is in short supply, according to the CDC. In an advisory to doctors sent last night, the agency told doctors to prioritize infants less than six months old who have chronic lung disease or other underlying conditions. And signs of hope in Hawaii after the devastating August wildfire. The mayor of Maui County announced that all of West Maui, except for the burned out sections of Lahaina, will reopen to tourism on November 1st. Scott, back to you. All right, Pippa, thank you. Pippa Stevens coming up. Well, he's a bank analyst by day. He's a power lifter by night. No ketchup, no mustard. The mayo is next. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Welcome back. A few big banks hitting 52-week lows today. The sector now on pace for its third straight month of declines. However, our next guest says it's a buying opportunity. We've made it our call today. Mike Mayo making it the head of large cap bank research at Wells Fargo Security, just named the number one bank analyst for the fourth year in a row by institutional investor. Welcome. Did you like that tease? I, I did. Thank you for mentioning the, uh, the powerlifting with the bank analysis. Well, I mean, it's, you know, we, we aim to please. Uh, okay, so your call is by the big banks now. Why in the world would I want to do that? Well, I mean, that's what investors are probably, I, I'm sure, uh, I'm trying to channel what our viewers are thinking right now. And they're like, the regionals are down like 10% in a week. Big banks are down like 9% in a week. Stocks are trading terribly over the last few months. Why do I want to buy them now? Well, I want to recognize the headwinds. Interest rates are a lot higher than I had ever expected, the banks had expected. They've been much more of a headwind to the deposit costs, the net interest income, the spread revenues, capital markets, and earnings estimates have been cut by 20% in the last year and a half. But I think we're in the the middle of the seventh inning, maybe the eighth inning for these downward earning provisions. And once that last earning provision is done, I think that will set a floor for the banks, starting with our favorites, which are the Goliath is winning, JP Morgan number one, Citigroup number two. So you have buys on everything, right? You have a buy on No, not, not, well, not, not on everything. Well, you have, I'm not, not on Morgan Stanley, but you have yeah. a buy on, on B of A, a buy on Citi, a buy on Goldman, uh, a buy on JPM. Is, are you rethinking any of these calls? Over, let's just say over the next 12 months. That's the sort of time frame you use, correct? Right. 
Uh, well, as a, a broader team, we have downgraded uh, six uh, regional banks and other names over the last several weeks. Uh, so we have kind of narrowed in on the, the biggest banks, which are showing the greatest resiliency, especially JP Morgan's. Their estimates for this year and next are higher than at the start of the year. So we're really putting more of our money into those more concentrated uh, investments. And I do think it's a longer tail for the regional banks. We go with the larger bank first, and then some of the trust or brokerage firms like a, a Goldman Sachs, and then the regional banks are going to come up to the rear. We do think the whole sector, though, has not gotten credit for the de-risking that's taken place over the last 10 years. So, Scott, whenever this recession comes and goes, you're going to see that the banks will perform a lot better than people expect. See, they've de-risked, but there are still risks that are out there that haven't materialized yet, the likes of which that Diamond himself was talking about today in Saudi Arabia. I'm sure you saw those headlines. How do you how do you react to it's not like, you know, that's exactly a ringing endorsement to go buy financial stocks today. Well, look, there's three risks. There are three R's would be rates, recession and regulation. When it comes to rates, absolutely, that's been a big risk and it's taken a toll. When it comes to recession, look at the credit quality of banks. It's so much better than anybody had expected. And that's where the resiliency is going to show through. And when it comes to regulation, Jamie Dimon himself said banks are uninvestable because of the new proposals that are out in Washington, D.C. But he's saying that while he himself owns over a billion dollars of J.P. Morgan stock. So I think he's, a, you know, going a little too overboard there with that uninvestable comment, and that's dragged down the stocks, and I think that's an opportunity. Are, are estimates at risk? Are your own estimates for these, these banks and their earnings potential at risk, yes or no? No, but I think consensus estimates are at risk by like another 5 to 10 percent. That's why I say we're in the, the middle of the seventh inning for these downward earnings revisions. So the, the consensus has to catch up, and then that'll be a nice floor. Real quick, Jimmy. Uh, day, it's the day of free cash flow, Mike. Um, Basel III endgame, potentially higher U.S. regulations. Uh, is this going to crimp the ability for these companies to buy back shares with free cash flow? Uh, it already has. Um, you have unreliable securities losses. They've gone up because of the higher interest rates. Banks have already slowed down buybacks. But back to the comment before, I think the biggest banks like J.P. Morgan City will be able to buy back more stock going into 2024, and that will also provide us support. I like what I hear. Good to have you here. Mike Thanks. Mayo. Uh, and congratulations again, fourth year institutional investor, top bank analyst, large bank analyst. Uh, up next, Mike Santoli with his midday word. We're back right after this. We're back. As you see, our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, has come to the desk. Uh, I'll tell you what, it's interesting here. When we came on the air some 47 minutes or so ago, all of the mega caps were green except for Apple. Mm -hmm. uh, now we're steadily moving red almost across the board. Apple, Microsoft, Meta, Amazon, NVIDIA. Uh, and that's taking the market in. It feels like a very indexy move. You know, so the S&P's down five days in a row. I think seven of the last eight, there has been a pretty pronounced intraday fade. So it does show you there's a little bit of fatigue, a little bit of, you know, buyers were unwilling to really step out there. 42.50 on the S&P seemed like it was one of those, okay, let's, uh, let's hold and, uh, and see if it actually can hurdle it. It didn't immediately. So I think we're in that mode, kind of just churning around the lower end of the range. We still want the critical mass of the big guys reporting to know if there's going to be 
anything kind of a new source of energy in this market from that. Um, and you know, I think arguably the expectations have been curtailed enough on enough of those big stocks that it, it could be the case. But you know, we're not making much of this pause in yields yesterday. You know, you had a pretty big pullback from the highs in the 10-year yield, and uh, you know, it's trying to make something of it. And, you know, financials have, have also been you know, oh, yeah. pretty conspicuous underperformers. Yeah, we were just talking about that with Mike yeah. May. I mean, on the same day that, you know, Jamie Dimon, we've become accustomed to these kinds of comments from yeah. him. He's, as I said, half a world away, making them today, but talking about the outlook being dicey. Yeah, and I, I get it. I mean, I think there's a the sort of late cycle vigil has not been called off, uh, whether it happens or not. It feels like there could actually be a pickup here uh, in terms of things like industrial production. A lot of folks pointing to that. The ISMs looked okay. Uh, so I don't think it's anything like today that gives you more reason to worry. But the psychology is there. I think uh, it'll improve if price action improves, basically. That's usually how it works. And we'll see if yeah. it starts to uh, after the bell today in overtime. Yeah. Good to see you. All right. Uh, this is Mike Santoli. All right. Coming up, we'll give you the setup on Boeing. That company reports earnings tomorrow before the bell. What Steph and Jim are expecting, they'll tell you next. Boeing reports tomorrow before the bell. Uh, let's kick this around. Steph, you go first. I don't think deliveries are going to be that good. They've had some issues with suppliers. We know all that. So therefore, I think free cash flow for the quarter could be negative. But I don't think they're going to change their long-term guide of free cash flow of six to seven billion from 24 to 26. And I think that's really much more important not to get too caught up in the short term. That being said, GE was a bright spot for sure in earnings and in aviation. As I mentioned, organic growth of 25 percent. That's a tailwind for Boeing and Airbus. Farmer Jim. Um, See how I brought that back? I, I did. Thank you. Um, this has been tremendously disappointing over the last two months, uh, down about 25 percent. And it's all on what Stephanie alluded to, in my opinion, these uh, bulkhead issues uh, with Spirit Aerosystems. That, that is likely to get fixed. The way this stock is trading is where it was three years ago when the 737 MAX was grounded, the 787 wasn't being delivered. That's not the situation that we're in right now. But the problem is sentiment on this stock is absolutely terrible. I think just a slight bit of good news, and who knows where it could come from. It could come from deliveries that expectations are so low right now that hopefully they will be positive, can turn this stock around because this is not it's not a question of the company turning around it's already turned around it's the stock needs to turn around that's a sentiment issue they just need a small piece of good news from somewhere tomorrow to do that all right quick break final trades on the other side Well, we're at session lows here for stocks as we uh, wind down on the, uh, this program anyway. And I, as we were just discussing with Mike Santoli, you've had some selling in some of those mega cap names, right? Dow is uh, only up 59 points now. Microsoft and Apple had uh, gone negative. So that's out of there. The S&P barely hanging on to positive territory ahead of those critical earnings coming afterwards. We're watching D.C. for what's happening there. Republicans still trying to elect a speaker of the House. Maybe that's having some uh, impact here, but there are a number of other issues, obviously, on the table that we have our eyes on today. Let's do uh, final trades. Well, actually, those are next. Those are next. All right, tomorrow we got a big day coming up. Liz Ann Saunders, Charles Schwab's chief investment strategist. We're going to be live in Philadelphia. It's the big Schwab Impact Conference. Look forward to that. Hope you all will join me then. Plenty to talk about, obviously. 
Josh Brown, final trade. Uh, IEF, if you think uh, bonds are bottoming by the end of the year, which I do. Okay. Farmer Jim. Uh, Wynn Resorts. You got a very good report from Las Vegas Sands, its competitor in Macau, uh, last week. And on top of that, Las Vegas uh, operations itself has been going gangbusters. So I think you've got a good report coming up in a couple of weeks. All righty. Stephanie Link. I like McDonald's down 14% from its highs. Digital drive through delivery is increasing their market share. Lower freight costs will help. So I like the stock into the quarter. Hey, did you see Nike, by the way? I did. Did you Nike today? So that's a nice bounce. Yeah. It was so like two and a half percent. I saw. So is Las Vegas Sands. Right. And China. A little bit of China. All right. All right. Good stuff. All right. We'll see you from Impact. Uh, the exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.